1: I think it's critical from a role modeling perspective that any person in an organization, their attitude they bring, the energy they bring to their work filters through the organization.
2: Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. everyone and welcome back onto the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's so great to have you here with me. I hope wherever you are in the world, you're well. I hope you're looking after yourself and uh, you're practicing self-care and a lot of it. No matter where you are on your your journey of wellness and health, keep practicing self-care because it's definitely the most important part of life. I hope you guys have been enjoying the, the CEO series. The last two episodes have received extremely overwhelming feedback. Thank you guys for sharing. Thank you for commenting. Thank you for giving us your feedback. We are all very, very grateful and everyone part of the community, part of the living family, so to speak, we, we're grateful to have you with us. Today's guest is Nick. Nick Brown is the CEO of Batir, and uh, Nick and I are actually pretty close friends. I've known Nick for a number of years. I've worked with Nick on a couple of projects over the years. We're big advocates of Batir and the work that they do in the community with young people in Australia, especially young people sharing lived experience and rolling out, you know, their programs in schools and universities around Australia. It's it's really remarkable the work they do. I actually met Nick before he was a CEO of Batir. He was actually working for Batir, but he worked his way up and the position sort of opened up for him and he and he took it with both hands. But Today's podcast is great. Nick and I basically throw around some past jokes and whatnot. But in all seriousness, I pick Nick's brain as to to how he got in the position that he's in, why he's such a big advocate for mental health in general, why he does what he does. And I do end up talking to Nick about his experiences throughout the pandemic running an organization like Batir with 50 plus staff, how that was on him personally, what that was like, um, navigating the team and himself through... A very, very tough time in life as a small business uh, and a charity in Australia. The business decisions that he had to make, how he, he practices self-care and all the little business tips and tricks along the way that he's had to learn that is quite hard to learn unless you're reading a lot of books and whatnot. So it's, it's a really good series, this. It's a great podcast. Nick is a legend. If you guys don't uh, follow Battier, please do. They do amazing work in the mental health space and we certainly support them in all aspects of what they do. But without further ado, I want to bring you episode number three on the CEO series. Nick Brown, take it away, brother.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, mate. I always look forward to chatting to you. So it's nice to be uh, on the podcast.
2: Well, mate, we're in 2021. Obviously last year was a pretty tough year, I think for most people so that we can sort of paint the picture for our audience and for our community. Give us a bit of backstory as to where you are today.
1: So I'm doing pretty well, actually. Last year was hard. It was my pretty much my first year as CEO. And so I was trying to work out what I was doing there at work. (laughs) there was also a pandemic. I don't know if people know about that. So working all of that out and then my personal life, trying to squeeze that in and and make sure I was living the way that I wanted to live on that side as well. So it was hard. Last year was really hard. But I think I learned a lot from it and I changed my mindset at the end of last year. And I've kind of come into this year feeling really fresh and yeah i'm excited about what's ahead at work but also personally a lot of, lot of good stuff going on so i'm feeling good
2: i love to hear that but i also hear this often with people over the last probably few months with the pandemic and it changing the way we live and operate and that sort of stuff and mate what a year to be sworn in as a ceo for a mental health charity in australia but here at such a you know a weird and a, and a unique time for all of us what was the hardest thing for you mate as a ceo and that transition for you?
1: I always have felt like I'm pretty good at, I guess, providing a bit of vision or clarity around the direction that we're taking. I wasn't the CEO before this, but I was in leadership positions and I always got a lot out of feeling like I could motivate the team and provide kind of clarity on where we're headed, but then leave it to the team to kind of deliver on it. And I really lost a lot of the direction, you know. I really just lost a lot of the ability to kind of get that clarity for myself and for the team. They did an amazing job to kind of just adjust and make stuff work. My priority was just making sure that we kept everyone on and didn't have to lose anyone and and we kind of were able to adapt and make sure we were able to keep doing the service that we deliver. I guess what I'm trying to say the struggle was was that I went from being able to look two, three, four years ahead to looking one week ahead. And part of that was necessary, but part of it was just kind of me just being like, I don't know. I don't really know what's going on here or how, how I can kind of set that clarity. And so, yeah, I felt a little bit lost, to be honest.
2: Thanks for sharing that. And obviously, this is the CEO series that we're running at the moment on this podcast. But I guess for the most part, like having to look, you know, one week ahead, one month ahead last year was probably what, you know, a lot of us had to do because we really didn't know what was around the corner and all those future plans that you're probably used to having. And when you're working with a team, you generally have a strategy and you have a plan as to how you're going to attack things. But as you well know, you know, you've got a lot of responsibility running, you know, a team the size of your team that you have at Batir and the great work you guys do. But sometimes all those plans get thrown out the window when you're dealing with a dilemma like the coronavirus, which changes the way you operate as a business unit. And I think that's, that's really interesting. And I want to find out more about that. How did you guys as a company and from your leadership, and obviously you surrounded yourself with an amazing board and a great team, how were you able to adapt so quickly without sort of laying off staff and all that sort of stuff?
1: Firstly, just say that it's not that easy to kind of go from feeling the way that I was feeling to being positive or whatever, you know, like that's, it's easy to kind of say that, but I really had to dig into what were my strengths and what do I want to be spending time doing and how do I want to get the best out of the team or how have I got the best out of the team in the past? And it wasn't kind of head down, stuck in a laptop you know, working on projects, telling people to kind of just go and sort things like I never liked working like that. And I don't think I've ever got the best out of people working like that. So this year, I kind of just was like, one of the best things that I think I can bring to the table is optimism and like fun and energy. And so if that means not getting as much done in a day, or not letting myself kind of be overwhelmed by stuff that I otherwise was getting overwhelmed by, you know all you can do is your best right you can turn up do your best give it your all and then have a bit of rest at night and um, when i started to look at it that way and not focus so much on kind of the worst case scenario of losing the team or whatever it might be i think my mindset changed and, and our whole energy's changed i think we're feeling very different this year even though we're still in you know we're still in it all and we still don't know what's ahead but the way that i think we got the most out of the team or the way that we adapted was just everyone had an opportunity and an equal voice to have a crack at changing the way we did things.
2: How important is that though? How important is it having an equal voice in a company of 60 plus?
1: Yeah, critical. I learned a lot out of doing that, you know, like these structures we have in organizations where you kind of have to report to someone and and they make the final decision and they're almost the experts often kind of comes across that way. And then all of a sudden, I was talking to one of our managers this week and he was saying that what he learned was that he wasn't an expert anymore. And that, you know, the people on the ground doing the stuff knew more than anyone else and kind of had to just trust them to make stuff happen and make decisions. And, you know, we're lucky that we have an amazing group of people that have really switched on and passionate about what we do, know, what we're trying to do and why and made some really good decisions. And we just kind of let them roll with it.
2: Yeah, mate. And that's really nice. And it's great to hear because obviously there's a lot of responsibility that rides on, you know, senior executives in any organization and to come into a role like you did last year and to adapt the way you did and to go through those changes and the times which were, were very trying, as you've just mentioned. I mean, that's part and parcel of life, I think, in itself. And it sounds like you've grown and learned a lot from those experiences. But, mate, just before we go any further... Talk to us about Batia for people who are listening that might not know what you guys do, who you are, where you're from. Yeah, so
1: Batia is a youth mental health organisation. We're all about smashing the stigma around mental health and trying to change the help-seeking rate. So only about 20 or 30% of young people that need to get support are getting it, and so we train young people to share their lived experiences of mental health, what they've been through, how they look after themselves, train them to do that kind of safely and in a way that's going to engage others in that conversation. And then we take them back into schools, unis, workplaces and run programs uh, where they have an opportunity to share those stories. And we have facilitators that deliver content, how to look after yourself, how to look after each other, how to be a good listener and play games and, and have a good time and have positive conversations around mental health. The idea is that Some mental health issues are really difficult to manage, require professional support and need to be taken really seriously. But for a lot of us, we all need to look after our mental health. And there are things that we can do to keep check of our mental health. And if we do develop some of the more common mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, there are some really quality treatments out there that we can get. So we just want to make sure everyone feels comfortable to look out for each other, work out how to look after ourselves and, and get the support that they need. So that's the main thing we do, but a big part of what we do is train people to share their stories. And so we've started to look at different ways that we can provide opportunities for people to to share their stories. There's so much power in that. There's a lot of evidence around that reducing stigma, but also just an awesome way to learn, right? Like just hearing someone like ourselves, what they've been through, it can really kind of make us feel less alone and give us some really good tips and tools, real life kind of experiences around what to do in these situations. So We're building an app, a digital storytelling app at the moment. And we've done a few other little innovation projects around digital stories in mental health units and a couple of other things here and there. So yeah, really, really all about just those real life stories, being authentic and and sharing experiences.
2: There's no doubt you guys are doing amazing work and making real impacts in people's lives. Obviously, we've known each other for quite some time and we've worked closely in some ways with you and your organization over the years. And it's really great to see other you know, like-minded organizations doing amazing work. And, you know, I love, I love what you guys are up to with your, you know, join our herd and and all that sort of stuff. And mate, I think it's great. And I I urge everyone that's listening to check out Batir. If you don't know who they are, uh, these guys are doing amazing work.
1: Back at you, Sam, Living, we work in a similar space, but I also think we have a bit of a similar approach or mindset around the way we need to talk about this stuff. It, It doesn't need to be this really kind of clinical medicalized conversation that's kind of, hard to get our head around and scary and you know, I think Livin does an amazing job at making mental health something that any person can talk about. And I think that's what we're trying to do as well. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of similarity and and stuff around the way we're approaching that stuff, I think.
2: Mate, there is. And you are absolutely right. And there's so many great organizations out there. And I guess part of the series and one thing I want to learn from you mate is as someone who who's at the helm of an organization, obviously you got to report to a board and, and whatnot. How important is it for you to practice what you preach from the top down to your team?
1: Like it's one of the things that I think I was trying to touch on a little bit before. That's another example. Anytime that I'm busy or overwhelmed, people feel that and then either feel like they have to be as well or there's just this kind of energy that's not as good to be around. So I think it's critical from a role modeling perspective. I think it's critical from the influence that any person in an organization, their attitude they bring, the energy they bring to their work, Filters through the organization. I've seen it hundreds of times, both positively and negatively. So I think that's really critical as well. And then the third part of it, I think, is just me to be my best. You have to create space. Like you have to create time on your own to be creative and you have to create time for yourself to be healthy and in a good headspace. I was traveling a lot this week and it's really hard to get into a routine when you're traveling a lot or there's a lot of travel meetings. Sometimes you're kicking off at 8, sometimes you're kicking off at 9, sometimes you're working till 11, sometimes at 6. Like it's just really hard to... It's
2: very all over the place. Yeah, you're right, mate. Yeah,
1: you've got to prioritize it. you got to fit it in. You've got to schedule it in sometimes, which is what I try to do. But,
2: Mate, I think that's a really good way to look at it because I myself have to put my self-care, believe it or not, and for those listening, you might resonate with this, I actually put my self-care on my diary, on my iCal here on my computer. So if I'm going to spend time or catch up with a friend or go work out in the morning or go to a gym or go for a run or read a book, I actually plant this time in my diary the same way that I plant the meetings that I'm having in my life with my team or with people on the outside of the team because I think that's just as important. you know. Like you mentioned, Nick, I think looking after yourself is is paramount to do the things that you do and do it really well. And mate, I remember back when I lived in Sydney before I moved to LA, I was on an airplane probably almost twice a week and that lasted for quite a long time. And it all looks good and sounds good when you travel business or whatever and you're in the lounges at the airport. Oh Well, mate, when you got points like that and you travel like that, it's all sounds and looks good. But at the end of the day, I looked at people that were doing nine to fives in their office or working around, you know, uh, in the same location. They just sort of didn't have to leave. I almost envied their life to a certain degree. And it's kind of funny that, isn't it? That relationship between what you're doing and what other people are doing and what you like and what you you didn't like, but then you you end up liking because you're not doing that anymore. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think we're built and wired to do that, to look at other people and other things and feel like they got it better or that's how I'd like to live or that'd be an awesome job but challenges come with it all and I think we forget to look at those as well
2: yeah mate totally and it's all part of the bigger picture I guess of doing the work that you do regardless of what organization and and who's running what organization I think it's just the the job isn't it really because I know a lot of people have different ideas of what a, a chief executive officer does at certain organizations, at certain levels. Give me a rundown, made on a typical day for you. What's it like? Let's try and paint this as specific as possible for our listeners.
1: We're a growing organization. So I think one big focus for me was to make sure that I built a really strong senior leadership team. I was the general manager before I was a CEO, and we don't have a general manager anymore because I felt like sharing that responsibility across a number of roles was going to work better for us as we grew. So that's been a big focus for me. And as that's settled and that team's kind of settled into their roles, I've been able to focus more on what I feel like I should be starting to focus on.
2: Is that your strengths? Is that your strengths?
1: Yeah, my strengths, but also I think what a CEO should be spending time on. I don't think a CEO should necessarily in some ways be needed day to day in the organization because if you are, then there's no one really looking at where you should be in three years, which I think is a big part of the role of CEO. So conversations that CEO is having or that I'm trying to have are about where we're headed, what's the opportunities that exist for us like down the track. Who do I need to speak to to help us get there or that want to come with us on that journey? So whether that's funders, supporters, other organisations, you know, we've talked about different ways that we could potentially collaborate because it's about looking down the track. How do we make things better for schools, young people, the system that may not be the way that we're operating today? So I guess to answer your question, I spend time supporting the team. So generally Wednesdays at the moment are the day that I catch up with, Half of my team and I meet with them fortnightly.
2: Is that one on one or?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so one-on-one. Yeah, cool. I have a team meeting with them once a fortnight as well. And if we have full team meeting, you know, there's all the meetings, I guess, that you go to internally. And I, I try to be present at all of those because I'm less present outside of those. And then, I mean, this week I was down talking to the government, trying to work out how we can work more closely with them. Met with a couple of funders. There's a lot of those sorts of conversations, making sure people understand where their support's going and, and where we're headed. And then working closely with the board. Our chair is the founder of the organization. So he's really engaged in the work that we're doing. So probably talk to him nearly every day about kind of big picture stuff, where we're headed, what are some of the big ideas we could be working on and trying to just create space to do that. And then, you know, the classic kind of admin stuff around approving grant proposals and
0: Ready to pop the question? To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.
1: reviewing documents and checking over stuff
2: all right so that's great you've painted a perfect story for us right there but I mean, you know, your responsibility lies at a certain part of the organization. And as you mentioned, you've got a board of directors. And for those people who are listening that doesn't know what a board of directors is and you want to learn, it's basically like a senior leadership team that sits around a, the CEO and helps give you guidance and feedback and expertise around certain areas of the direction of the company and all that sort of stuff in a bit of more layman's terms, correct?
1: In the governance. So they're, they're kind of responsible for, you know, your financial solvency or sustainability making sure from a legal perspective you're not making decisions that are going to put the organization in in a um, sticky situation so yeah more the governance side of it but yeah practically speaking it's all about kind of support and leadership and guiding in their areas of expertise
2: almost like a sounding board and is it frustrating for you though as a CEO obviously you didn't start but Um, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes right now because I know you're an ideas man. You're very good with the people. You're great with interpersonal relationships and whatnot. Is it frustrating for you if you were to come up with an idea, right, that you think would be amazing for Batir, but then you need to get that signed off by like the board of directors? Talk me through that process just in general terms. I'm not trying to say have a dig at a certain board member by any means because I think it's part of a healthy relationship, but how do you deal with that and what's that experience like for you?
1: Yeah. So it's another big part of the job. Firstly, the formal reporting. We have some committees as well, finance committee, risk committee, etc. I have to report to. And I've been lucky enough to watch a couple of CEOs before me. And I I think when they've done that well is when they've got an ongoing relationship with the board. So really, by the time you bring an idea to the board, it shouldn't be a surprise and it shouldn't be misaligned with Kind of the board's direction, where it's a team. They're there to keep you accountable and make sure the decisions you're making are the right ones. And I've got a really good board. You know that they, they trust decisions that I make and back ideas. They test me on those ideas, but back me as well. And and so I think if I had an idea, I wanted to bring an idea to the table. A lot of the conversations I try to have prior to getting to the board meeting, for example. And so any refinement I need to make, I, I, I can go back to the drawing board. I I kind of have an idea of everyone's perspective before I turn up. So conversations don't really go, hey, I've got this amazing idea. What do you think? They're like, oh no. And then I'm kind of, I missed out. Kind of got to be really deliberate about that process. And it's about taking people on the journey, just like any idea within the organization as well.
2: Yeah, mate, that's very well said. Very well said and very important. For anyone who's listening that their idea goal in life is to probably work their way up through an organization to try and, you know, run an entire organization, whether it's a senior executive or a CEO, whatever that may be. Where did it all start for you? And what are your tips for people who are wanting to, you know, work up the ranks, so to speak?
1: I guess everyone's experience is a little bit different. Mine happened pretty quickly because we were a growing organization. I think it comes down to purpose. I've worked for -for not-for-profits most of my career, did a little bit with local government and state government, but most of my career has been not-for-profit because I've felt really connected to feeling like my life is having an impact on on other people's lives. And I'm really driven by that. My kind of purpose is around providing as much value as I can. And so... When I first started materials Batia, I was a school program manager. I went out to every school program. I got to see students, hang out with them. I loved it. Like it was so fun and I could see every day the impact that we were having. And so as I sort of stepped into a, a different roles, I then went to national program manager overseeing the variety of programs that we deliver, not just in schools. And I felt a bit removed. And that was probably the first kind of like adjustment I had to make, rethink well, if I'm not at the program as much anymore, how am I adding value? And I I really felt like it was a multiplication thing. So instead of me being at a program, talking to a student, I was creating processes and, and a platform for five people to have a conversation. I now in the CEO role in some ways feel a bit more removed. So I have to be really deliberate about getting to programs and chatting to the team and, and, and things. But I see it as like a multiplication game. And so it's about, Now I'm not having that individual impact, but I'm hopefully creating opportunities for even more impact to happen off the back of some of the work that I'm doing. And so that helps drive where I spend my time. I think it's helped drive me through the organization. I think it's about always looking for me to be challenged more, to give more value. And and I think potentially people just see that and kind of back you into trying the next thing. And I think that's kind of what's happened to get to the CEO role. I think the board kind of looked at I don't know I'd have to ask them but I think they kind of looked at me and said he stepped up in each of these areas as, as he's kind of moved through the organization so let's give him a crack at this and see how he goes I love
2: it man I love it and I think there's a lot of you know i'm sure you've you've probably feel at times you've got pressure on your shoulders and things to do so that you can achieve your own goals within Batier, you know and as a ceo multiplying that effect because you're not at the forefront you're not so much in the granular activities because you've trusted your team to take control of that because you know that they will provide based on your direction and that direction comes down from you and it filters across the organization essentially is that how it works
1: But part of that is also trusting that they know more or as much or differently to you. I think I had to get really used to, as I sort of stepped into those other roles, trusting that they don't do things the way that I would do them and won't and shouldn't. And so you've really got to be comfortable to create sort of a framework that means you feel like what's important is going to continue and be a focus, but allow enough flexibility for people to make their own sort of stamp on it. And that can be tough, but you've really just kind of got to realize that, you know, you don't know everything. There's a hundred different ways to make a decision or a good decision or, or take things in a good direction. So if it's not your way, it still may be a really good way. And I think allowing people to do that is really important.
2: And mate, that's what I like a lot about you and how you've handled yourself with all this, because it really is like that, isn't it? I like to think that no one's really better than anyone. We've all got great ideas and things that may work or may not work, and it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be done a certain way for it to be successful. I think what you're trying to say is you're able to let go. If you've got a bit of direction and and a bit of a strategy, you've almost got to just be at peace that, okay, this is what's getting done, and letting people in your team feel empowered enough to make those choices on themselves and do it the way that they know best and that they're comfortable, and you can sleep at night knowing that that is getting done in direction with your overall organization's goals.
1: Yeah, and in these sorts of roles, you don't have a choice. You don't have enough time to be involved in all of it. So you've got to pick good people and then back them in.
2: And that's like the importance of not being able to micromanage people.
1: Yeah, and I, I think sometimes people need a bit more guidance in early stages of a role or in a particular role or a particular area of a role or whatever. But again, I think it's about setting up ways for you to feel comfortable that they're making the right decisions. So yeah, you need to kind of step out of it sometimes.
2: Mate, what's the hardest thing about being a CEO of a mental health nonprofit?
1: Well, I mean, like the, the thing that comes to mind is balancing it all, right? Like making sure you're spending time on the right things. And I think that's pulling your head out of your laptop. <laughs> sounded like that sentence is gonna end. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pull <out> your ass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, pretty much though. You know, get your head out of your laptop, talk to people, work out where your strengths are. But the biggest challenge is doing that. It's really easy to get caught up in certain things and then realizing a the day later you've spent time on stuff you probably didn't need to. Trusting people, prioritizing, you know, all that stuff is actually really hard. It's hard skill to learn and a hard thing to kind of trust yourself to do as well.
2: Mate, it sounds like you got your hands full. Obviously, there's a bit of direction and strategy, obviously, for the future. Where do you see or where do you hope? And I know this might be a very open question, mate, but I think it's important to ask. Where do you hope to see Batir or your organization in, you know, in the next year or couple of years? Like what are some big things that you guys are working on?
1: Yeah. Thanks for the question. And to your point about lots on, I think that is the other thing is leaning on people outside yourself to help guide. You know, I'm in a lot of ways an inexperienced CEO. And so I don't have all the answers. I mean, no one had been through a pit pandemic before, but people have been through challenges, crises, you know, business upheavals. like, And so you have to lean on those people and chat to those people and, and hear about how they navigated those things. And the board are one one group that really helped me kind of navigate that stuff, think about the things I needed to. But I've got a number of mentors, you and me and a bunch of other people we are catching up once a month who are in similar kind of organisations and roles to just chat what we're going through. You need to do that. You need to lean on people outside your network or in your network to help drive you. But in terms of Batir in the next little while, We've spent a lot of time listening to young people. We've spent a lot of time having young people help drive our decision-making and tens of thousands of people a year fill out our surveys. And so we've got these amazing rich insights from young people, what they're saying on the ground. And that's helped kind of inform the work that we do, how we better engage with young people and things. But we now want to kind of work out how do we capture those insights and share them with people that actually influence the systems with which young people live in. So once they leave the school, if they buy into everything that we say, they still walk out into a world that's not necessarily set up in the best way to support them. So we want to try and influence that. And the way that we want to do that is build out a data and insights capacity that's going to help capture those insights and share them with policymakers, researchers, service providers, so that they've got kind of rich insights and the best way to support young people and that young people's individual stories and voices are being heard with the people that need to hear them. So we'll keep doing the work that we're doing. But we want to work out a way to make sure that we're not the only ones doing anything with that information and that access that we have to young people, that others get to be involved in that as well. And then on a practical level, the whole, like everyone else, we're working through the whole digital versus face-to-face stuff. What's the role of digital in our organization versus the importance of kind of getting out there and hanging out with young people? So work through that as well.
2: I love it. But as far as digital insights and stuff goes, because obviously that's the way the future and I think most platforms and most research now informs decisions that we make as business leaders or as business units, as individuals, doesn't really matter. How important is it to get to these policymakers and people that are even above organizations to enforce some of the learnings and, and some of the things you've you found on the ground? And what happens if we can't reach them? What does it mean for organizations like Livin and Batir and, and things like that?
1: Yeah, so we've been doing a, a bit of work around this, like what's our role? And so every organization has a mission, right? they have a specific focus what do we want to achieve that's really important that's got to be clear and you got to work towards that but like i was sort of saying if you just focus on that you may solve that issue so for us we're looking at stigma and intentions to seek help let's use intentions to seek help as an example if we take it from 30 to 100 percent that young people now every young person that needs to get support is willing to So then they go and knock on the door of a service provider or ready to talk to someone or whatever. If those services aren't there for them, then, okay, well, let's keep focusing on solving our mission, but then how do we influence those systems and those people and communities around young people so that they walk out into an environment that's suited to serve them? So if we don't influence policy or government or service providers or researchers or whoever it is that's making decisions or or learning more and informing decisions, then I think we'll solve little things, but we won't solve the big thing. And I think that's why organizations need to work closer together and look at sharing their learnings with each other or with the right people to make sure that we can kind of have an influence on the system outside of our own individual mission.
2: Yeah, mate, I love that. And I agree so much. And I think collaboration and teamwork is is very important, no matter what industry you're in. And that's really great that you shared that with us, Nick, mate. And I like that. But it's also like, what happens if you can't inform and influence people above us or organizations to work together i mean we're still doing the best work that you can you're still solving certain problems at a certain level so certainly shouldn't be beating yourselves up and or anyone should be beating themselves up for that matter but i think at the end of the day it's just about staying true to your mission pateer's mission and what i'm hearing you say is have an open mind about working with people outside of our lane so they can help influence those later decisions down the track if you're doing your job correctly here and you've you know, minimised stigma and you've increased help-seeking for every young person in Australia. But like you said, if the school counsellor doesn't open the door or it gives poor advice or that bad experience at the mental health professional, it really is out of your control though, you know. So those things you can influence, but you can't change sometimes. And that's out of your control. So I think... By us just keeping in our lane, doing what we can the best, working on ways to collaborate, and I think this is a great great first step in the right direction for Batir and Livin, obviously. I think there's some great things to come, and I think there's great things to be achieved.
1: Definitely, mate. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you can also get lost in the bigger stuff, the bigger problems, the things that are really hard to solve. And so more critical than that is staying in your lane, focusing on what you're good at, getting better at it, having more impact in that area, and that's a big focus for us. It's And we will create change by doing that. And that's why we are, we are doing it. And it's just about looking at what are the other areas you can kind of influence as well.
2: Exactly, mate, exactly. And before we wrap up, I probably have left one of the, the most important questions to last. What research are you finding out there? But let's just talk about young people, for example. Obviously, we know stigma exists. We know people don't access support because they're worried for a whole range of different things. What is the one interesting fact that you've been able to uncover over the past you know, couple of years? Anything surprising? Anything that... You know not many people are talking about or
1: maybe this is a good reminder rather than surprising we did a thematic analysis on 85 stories so we grabbed 85 written stories and worked with a, an organization called connecticut to do an analysis of those stories to see if there's kind of shared themes or insights from this group of young people and one of the things that that stood out was this idea of an anchor person And essentially what it talked to is that all the the young people that were able to get support or something like 95 plus percent of young people that got support identified someone in their life that was there with them for them through the ups and downs of those difficult times. And that person that was kind of coined the anchor person. So for some people, it was like their psychologist was a professional support. In the low times they were there, in the good times they were there, in the low times and the good times. But for a lot of people, it was their mum, their dad, their mate, their boss, their teacher. There was someone in their life that was stuck it out. And I know for a lot of people who are looking after people that they love that are doing it tough, kind of sometimes feel helpless and kind of sometimes feel like they're not making an impact. But it's only when these people navigate the tough times and look back and identify that person as being there, Even when they thought they weren't having impact, that helped get them through. And so a really critical thing when we talk about system, policy, all that stuff, yeah, that's all great. But really what it comes down to is to real life relationships, It comes down to community, which you're building an amazing community. And it comes down to being willing to just have those conversations and be there for each other when shit's hard. And whether we feel like we're having an impact or not, sometimes the best thing we can do, sit alongside someone and be there with them through the ups and downs of life.
2: Beautifully said, mate. What a way to finish off this podcast. Thank you so much, brother, for sharing. It's always good looking at your head, Nick. And it's always great to catch up, brother. <laughs>
1: Jay's face is looking looking good through the screen here.
2: Yeah, I've got an alter ego. I've looked 10 years younger. Always a real pleasure catching up, man. It's, it's great to hear and see what you guys do from afar. And I'm glad we're working in this space, mate. You're doing awesome work. Keep it up. Uh, keep doing what you're doing keep practicing self-care brother and keep looking after your life and we didn't even talk about the personal side of things but it sounds like mate it's all going well by the smile on your face in our last catch up so we'll talk about that maybe on the next podcast when we catch up mate but um yeah mate without further ado i just want to say thank you on behalf of the entire living community thanks for joining the series the ceo series i'm excited mate i'm excited to share this with our audience really grateful for your time bro
1: awesome mate great chat to you as always love your work
2: Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please like, share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, stay well keep living and remember it ain't weak to speak thank you and have a top day
0: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states